Inside the Healing Room with Evangeline Hemrick. Hello, my friends. I am delighted to bring you this interview today. It is such a powerful conversation about transformation and growth with someone I love dearly. So I'm bringing you today Stephanie Athena Marie. She started out as my massage student. That was how I met her. And she was a massage therapist for years. We get into in the interview the journey of her professional massage career and how that evolved into her career as a natural healer and psychic. I cannot wait for you to listen to this interview because there are so many moments that I was just like, man, that's so good for people to hear when it comes to how we continue to grow and how we might be one thing for a while. I mean, we might call ourselves a massage therapist or a natural healer or this or that, but the interview itself even helped me. This is something that's really interesting when it happens in an interview. I can have my own moment of profound transformation just through interviewing these beautiful people. And I realized that now Stephanie calls herself a witch. And I realized that what I thought was me trying to expand other people's point of view that might be listening to see what a just an amazing person she is and how much love and how much talent she has as a healer. I realized it was all about my discomfort with the word. And we go really deep into that, into the um, further conversation that is on Patreon. So my Patreon offering with her is a deeper dive into some of these topics like consciousness and spirituality. So I hope that you will check her out on Patreon along with all the amazing things she does and offers. Her website is stephanieathenamarie.com and you can go into our deep dive interview at patreon.com slash Evangeline Hemrick. Do you have any of those words, words that trigger you because of your own experiences, because of your own life story, or maybe even family stuff that was programmed into you or ancestral experiences that are running the show deep down in your DNA. That's what happened with me and the word witch. I realized, man, this is like a lot deeper than I realized from ancestral stuff, just deep pain and trauma around that word. And I really feel like this is the time for us to let go of all those old associations and conditionings and programmings because words only mean what we assign them the power to have with our own intention. So if someone calls themselves a particular word, for instance, I'm getting ready to do a course on shamanism. If someone calls themselves a shaman, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to the person? That's true communication and right relationship. Not getting caught up in all of our associations and triggers around words that aren't even relevant to the person that we are dealing with right in front of us that deserves our presence and our love. So Stephanie, I thank you so much for bringing that to my attention that I had some triggers and some stuff from the past around the word witch. 
And I encourage all of you to take those triggers and take those associations that you have around certain words, take them out to the light, look at them, release them, clean them up. Even writing down words that trigger you or you're sensitive to or you don't want somebody else to use (laughs) is a really good practice in order to decondition ourselves and grow and transform spiritually. So I'm really excited about my upcoming course. You can go to my website and check it out at evangelinehemrick.com. If you go to the courses page, you can sign up and it's going to be a seven-week shamanic empowerment coaching and tutorial, online videos, lots of PDF downloads and audio. My goal for doing this course is to support you, lift you up, and put you in the driver's seat of your own healing. So this course is for anyone. You don't have to have a desire to be a shaman or facilitate ceremony for other people, but I do hope that you will consider being the shaman of your own life. And we really get into that about, okay, well, what does that word mean now? How can we be the relevant, useful, effective shamans of our own life? And that has nothing to do with tribal shamanism or appropriating another culture. And we really get into that. So I want to warmly welcome my favorite witch. And I love her dearly. And I hope that you enjoy the episode. Without further ado, the beautiful Stephanie Athena Marie. Stephanie Athena Marie, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. We were just talking about when we met, and I guess that was in 2007 when you started massage school. And I've been so excited to do this interview, especially after receiving a remote healing session with you a while back. And Being on the receiving end of the work, the good work that you are putting out in the world and just thinking about how, (laughs) how in awe I am of your transformation. I do not think there's been any other like monumental transformation that I've, I've been witness to and watched you embody healing in such a, a physical way such an outward representation of positive change. And that's what I want to start off with. Like, oh my gosh, since you were in massage school, (laughs) to, to who you are now, this extremely powerful healer, way shower, teacher, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do at this point. Okay. So at this point, I do primarily remote psychic reading and healing work. It definitely was a transformation over the course of 10 years. And as of right now, I do see this changing. I currently live in a small cow country farmer's town at the southwest corner of Colorado on my partner's land. He had his family has had about two hundred acres in their family for the last several generations. And so we are living here and because of the location, because it's a small town, 
not a big city. I have decided to focus primarily on remote work. And I, I, I wish there was a better word, I guess, distance healing, distance work. They all still, both of those options don't really truly convey in the clearest of ways what it is that I do. But essentially, I work with people's mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual bodies when they're not in person with me. That is essentially what remote work is. And I have worked with people who were in airplanes while I was doing their session. (laughs) I have worked with people who were asleep on the other side of the world. I've been doing this distance work since full time now. I think I'm counting in my head. I think I completely let go of massage and body work two years ago. So I think it's been two years that I have full time been working as a, I call myself a witch, witch healer, but in the form of these remote sessions. So full time for two years. But I think that honestly, I think that this is something that I always that was always in me. It wasn't something that I necessarily had to wait to a certain time for it to come out. It was more so waiting until I was comfortable being who I am. That's really what what my transformation was about, was waiting until I could be comfortable being who I am and trusting that who I am would be accepted and will be accepted in this world. And I think back to that young, beautiful excited, happy girl that came into my classroom in massage school and who you, this, this strong medicine woman that I see in front of me now that I've been privileged to receive healing work from, it is so incredible to me. And it's such a great example of how you embody personal healing and transformation. What has that journey been like for you? I mean, if you think back to When we came together and you were learning to be a massage therapist, from that point till now, when you look back at her (laughs) and where you stand at this point, what is that like for you? (laughs) Well, it's actually, it's been a whirlwind, but at the same time, it also has had very linear components to it. From the, I think, literally to the month of graduating massage school until the month that I let go of massage, it was exactly 10 years. And so it was a 10-year transformation of, you know, (laughs) so interesting just to think back of where where I was mentally and emotionally whenever I decided to go to massage school. I knew that I had graduated college and just really still was not feeling like I was doing something I wanted to be doing. And yeah, I don't, to be honest, I don't even remember at the time, like what my why was for massage school, except for, I remember as a child, my dad was a teacher at every school that I ever attended kindergarten through high school. And so I spent a lot of time in after school programs or like, at the school during summer when it was teacher work days. And I remember massaging the teachers 
like massaging their shoulders in exchange for like treats out of the treasure chest or, you know, something silly that they were doing. And I always just had this, I mean, throughout my life, I had this touch component. I had this, this way of feeling people that was deeper than just surface touch. And so I think it was a, to be honest, I think it was the spirit inside of me that was navigating me at that point because looking back on it I don't know why massage necessarily (laughs) and so you know after completing my training I went from being licensed in North Carolina to be like being licensed in South Carolina to being licensed in Colorado and you know um, that was over the span of 10 years and I, you know, every, even though it was a long process, 10 years is a pretty decent chunk of time. At the time, my decisions were purely made in the moment of what I wanted to be doing and where I wanted to go and what I felt was right for me. And so meanwhile, while massage was my tool that allowed me to travel and be in so many different places and situations in my life, I could always bring it with me. And the massage was always something that I could find a job wherever I was going. And I really started to undergo a personal transformation that has led me to where I am today. I think it was a natural experience for me. I think it's something that anyone and everyone can undergo for themselves is that hero's journey, the journey of the soul, but mine just happened really fast, <laughs> like sped up speed. <laughs> and I've seen that so many times teaching at massage school, watching these people come through, some of them aware that they were there for their own deep healing process. Some thinking that they're signing up for, a, you know, to learn a trade, just to learn a skill that they're going to take out in the world and be able to use to make a living. And just that knowing, just just witnessing, wow, what's going to happen from this process is so much deeper than learning a skill. And I saw you go through, like all along the way, we kept up with each other throughout your massage therapy career. And I, I was right beside you as you were experimenting and learning and speaking out about the corporate machine of massage and your experiences. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know, I haven't I haven't decided which podcast I'm going to I'm going to share this interview on because I really it interlaps and translates into both aspects, the spiritual yeah. and the business of holistic healers. Because yeah, totally. The time that I wrote a seven-page letter to the CEO of Massage Envy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm reading it and I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's she's getting it. She's understanding, hey, this, this ain't working, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that, about the realizations and and how you spoke up and what you observed. You know, whenever I left, there's a couple things within this topic. Whenever I left massage school and I got licensed, I was living in Winston-Salem and there was a massage envy. It just seemed naturally like the best choice. I didn't want to work for myself at the time. I really, I really appreciated the idea of going to work, 
doing what I enjoy doing and then going home. You know, I really enjoyed the separation of it. And I appreciated at the time. I also really appreciated the ability to make my own schedule. So I was working for Massage Envy. And to this day, I will still say that my five years with Massage Envy was an incredible experience. And it, and there were things that I really appreciated about the model. And there were things that really were not working about the model. And so I worked in Massage Envy uh, in Winston for, I want to say, this was before Jeff had two locations. I think he has at least two locations still at this point. This is whenever he just had his first one. And I loved Jeff. I loved the people that I worked with. I loved, like, it was like my family. And at the same time, there were just aspects of the massage envy model that felt really constricting as far as relating to the people on your table as people. You know, for one, for one example, Whenever I left Massage Envy, they have this no-compete clause. And so basically at the time, what the clause said is that you're not allowed to touch anyone that you worked on in Massage Envy once you leave. And that was, you know, it's, it's the idea of taking healing, an innate desire within every human being to not only have connection and touch, but to support each other and help each other feel better whenever someone is down. And so to take healing and the innate humanness of healing and then turn it into a corporation, like twist it and try to manipulate it, in my experience, in my opinion, is a very masculine, limited, restrictive way of understanding what your business does in the first place. You're here for healing. And so I ended up, I didn't get in legal trouble, but I definitely had clients that wanted to continue their healing relationship with me. And that became an issue. So I think at some point I ended up bringing that up, but nothing, nothing bad came of it. Nothing bad happened. I moved on to another, I ended up moving to North, from North Carolina to South Carolina. I got a job there to Massage Envy. And, you know, it's, again, what, what was great about Massage Envy is why I stayed with it. And so North Carolina to South Carolina to Colorado. At that point, I had worked in three different states under three different franchise owners. Every single time hitting the top of their most requested charts within a year, not even sometimes not even a year of being there. And so my talent was there, my skill was there, the client's appreciation for me was there. But yet it seemed like the therapists were keeping the business alive while management was trying to run a business. And healing and business on a corporate level just are not good bedfellows. Yet, I think that we can definitely get there. But whenever I decided that I was finally done, that I could not contribute to the dysfunction of this this company anymore for my own self, I know a lot of people that that it does great things for. But for my own self, 
I ended up writing, like I said, a seven page letter to the highest up <laughs> address. <laughs> I think I actually emailed it, the highest up email I could find. And I believe I actually sent it out also to every single franchise owner's email in the country. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I've not thought about this in a long time. So look, so looking back on my actions at the time, I, from where I am now, I was like, damn, I must have been really passionate about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> you were, I remember. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was. And so basically, I don't even remember what it said, but essentially it broke down. You know, here's the thing. Whenever we see dysfunction in the world, it doesn't matter where you see dysfunction. We all have our own eyes, our own perspective, our own point of view, our own tu in internal tuning forks, our own way of vibrating and resonating with our experience. And whenever something feels off, I view it as my responsibility to the collective to say something. I don't, I, I view it as my responsibility to say, hey, for what it's worth, which may be nothing, you know, who knows, for what it's worth, this doesn't feel right. I view that as my accountability to the collective, to the whole, to every other human being that I live on this planet with. And so I did. So I said something and I basically, you know, in order to present the best complaint possible, I broke it down into everything I appreciated, everything that I loved over the five years and three different franchises that I worked at. And then I followed up with my complaint and then I followed up with solutions. I think that even though I don't know if anything was ever done about it, or I know that my letter did re did reach the top levels of that company structure, but you know whether it changed anything, I don't know. But I still think that all of us owe it to ourselves and to each other to use our voices, and to not only use our voices whenever something's wrong, but to use our our minds, our discernment, our hearts to bring solutions to the table. If we're all just bringing complaints and problems, like I said, this goes throughout every aspect of the human experience. If we're all just bring, bringing problems and never like letting it integrate and merge with ourselves to the point of having solutions, then we're not ever going to get anywhere. And you know, the best thing I feel like we can all do for ourselves is to allow ourselves to see and feel where we perceive the problems to be or the dysfunction or the imbalances and then let ourselves feel it to the point that solutions begin to rise up out of us. Could not be a better time to share that message. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so going back there to that time when you were working as a massage therapist and you were completely making a living, you know, living off of, of doing body work, what was the, what was the ending point? Was it a slow, gradual thing? Or did you one day just have this big, I'm done, I'm, I'm done with doing massage? So no, it definitely was a, there was a process of it. Because, you know, back in massage school, I was, I realized and was aware in massage school, during massage school, that I was seeing 
feeling, perceiving, and knowing things that my classmates weren't. And there was a distinct, there were distinct moments where I thought to myself, well, surely everybody sees what, what I see. Like, surely everybody can feel this thing that I'm feeling right here. Or surely everyone, when they touch that person, wants to cry. But that wasn't the case. And so it started in massage school where it was just this little sliver of light that came through that was like, well, maybe there is something different about me. I also had teachers in massage school tell me <laughs> that there was something different about me. There's one, and I don't even remember her name. And it's, I still remember the situation. We were doing, some, there was something going on in class and we all, I think it was probably an, one of the energetic aspects and everyone was standing around the table, the massage table and somebody was on it and we were practicing something. And I said, well, well, I feel this. And I said, I said something along those lines and she said something to the effect of what you're feeling or what you're seeing, what you're sensing is there and you're capable of so much more than you know. And it didn't feel like one of those moments where you like broadly tell people you're so much more powerful than you know, and this like giant blanket of uplifting them. There was a part of what she said that made me feel like she knew something about me that I didn't know about myself. Yeah. And as the time, as the years went on, it was a progression of, I'm not just touching bodies. There is something happening between my body and their body without me even consciously, mentally, intentionally trying to do something. Like I almost as if like your body took over and started doing stuff without your knowledge and you're watching it happen. And you're like, well, what is going on here? And so as the years went on and those those energetic exchanges between myself and the client on the table as that happened more and grew stronger, as my knowing of what was going on with them mentally and emotionally or physically, as that grew stronger, I just, it became so much more than just touching them. And it started to, it wasn't bordering. It, it was overtly psychic. It was overtly empathic. It was overtly intuition. And so I began to share that information with my clients, you know, as whenever it started, I, I, it, I was probably like four or five years into massage therapy. Meh, I would say maybe three years. It was probably like the third year mark that I couldn't hold it in anymore because I would touch people and I would feel things so strongly that I felt like if I didn't tell them I was going to burst. And so what I did is I, took my clients that had been seeing me for years that I knew that they trusted me. And I found a way to ask them if they would be interested in hearing something that came up, you know, and considering I was, you know, everybody has the, their projections and onto like the South and what the South is like. So considering I was living and working in the South and able to have these conversations with my clients and have them, the vast majority of them be open to those conversations, 
goes to show us that you, you just really cannot judge a book by the cover, you know, because whenever one or two, or whenever, what is it? Whenever two or more gathered in my name kind of thing, I'm going to yeah. throw a little Bible reference at you from my childhood upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> I love whenever it. Whenever <laughs> two or more gathered, you know what I mean? And so I think whenever spirit is in the room, so incredibly strong in that presence, there really is space for miracles and there's space for us to move beyond what we thought was possible into these miraculous spaces. So basically it was a transition of, you know, purely, it was never for me, never purely physical, but I thought it was. And it transformed from, you know, just giving massages to getting to the point where, you know, two years ago, I just didn't feel fulfilled just doing massage. And that's to answer your original question. That's when I had to draw the line is whenever I started feeling like what I wanted to be doing wasn't okay. I wanted to be full-time psychic, full-time reading, full-time connecting with people and telling them what was going on because I could massage you all day and it's going to feel good and there's going to be an energetic exchange, but I wanted to bridge the physical to the mental, the physical to the emotional, to the mental, to the spiritual. And I didn't want to do it in baby steps. I was tired of baby steps. I had been baby stepping for 10 years. I wanted to say, outright we're going from the physical to the spiritual buckle up and i love the the natural unfolding of it for you from putting your hands on people and from doing something that's perceived as just physical but of course we know that it's not a very parallel experience to me how your your intuitive gifts were able to just bloom and and blossom in that that beautiful container that you had, you had somewhere to access those gifts and to let them grow. If there's anyone out there listening to this that might be feeling a lot of the things that, that you were talking about, you know, feeling those intuitive feelings that we had where they can bubble up in a massage session and you're just like, I feel like I have to say this. It might be, yeah. it might be so silly and it might sound so strange, but I have a responsibility to this and that that real sense of just being compelled to share. What would you say to someone that might be intimidated by their gifts or in that space of like, what are people going to think if I actually do share? You know, what, So you were well received in the Bible Belt and so was I. I've, I've always worked in the yeah. South. <laughs> I never, ever. I mean, in 25 years, had people go, well, you're just a big weirdo and I'm leaving. It was, it was always received. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you have to say to those people who might be a little intimidated and afraid of their own gifts? I would say that it's a lot like the way that I think of it is like a faucet. And if you're afraid that what is behind the faucet, like what's backed up in the hose is too much to turn on full force, then you can also, you could just start as a drip. And I would encourage people who feel like there's something there, who feel like they're resonating with what I'm saying, is to allow themselves to just start with a drip. 
Like there's no right or wrong whenever it comes to the unknown, the void, the divine feminine, chaos. Like there is no right or wrong. If the best thing we can do is get out of that linear way of thinking, like if, if I say this, and they can't take it, they can't have it, or they get mad at me, then I was bad, I was wrong, blah, blah, blah. That's usually what prevents people from speaking what is flowing through them is the fear of what will happen once it comes out. And although, yes, you are responsible for your actions and your words, you're also responsible for allowing your spirit to flow through you. And so whether it looks like going home and writing down or having a journal there beside your table that at the end of the session, you don't put names in it, but you just write down whatever needed to go get said. And then you burn it or have a ceremony for it or send a prayer up for that person that they're able to see this. You can go that route, which you never have to say anything to the person. And maybe that alleviates that pressure for you, that, that need or desire to say it to them. And you can go all the way to the other end of the spectrum by respectfully asking them, are you open to hearing any intuitive information that comes through while I'm working on you? Because the easiest thing to do is to help people understand. I mean, it's not the easiest thing to do. The easiest way to move to navigate this is by helping them understand how you could possibly have this information in the first place. And one of the easiest things that we can now probably back up with science. I'm not, I don't really like to study research papers or anything, but I'm assuming this information is very easy to find. We all know that we store stress and emotion in our physical body. And so if you can help your clients understand their own body and how their body operates on a physical level and a non-physical level and how the two intertwine, then you can help them understand how you might know something or feel something that they were unaware of. And then once you help them understand, not only are you setting them up to be able to hear their truth more clearly, but you're also setting them up to be able to hear you if something comes through that you're more tuned into or more sensitive to than they are. Oh, that's so helpful. Thank you. Thank you for that. At this point, when I watch you, when I observe you, you seem fearless to me. You just, you, (laughs) you fearlessly go through life looking at what needs to be looked at and being authentic. I mean, that's how, that's how I see you and being authentic and transparent and delving deep into what needs to be healed and what needs to be addressed are those are scary things for a lot of people. So I just wanted to find out, and I don't know the answer to this. What kind of fears have you faced in this process of going from massage therapist or even before that, you know, even before you became one to an intuitive? And as you so proudly call yourself with no fear, it seems to me you call yourself a witch. And we're going to get into that more. But what has been scary about that, if anything? Well, I think that around 2010, which is what now, 11 years ago, around 2010, I had been doing massage for two years at that point and about a year and a half. And I I was financially very stable. I was financially stable. I had security within 
my skills, my trade, what I was doing. But at the time, I went through a really intense divorce. And the way that it all went down, essentially, my partner at the time was living a double life. And so whenever it all crumbled down, I realized that I had built a life around me that was primarily a lie. And whenever you, and it felt very much like a near death experience, because if you have ever had a situation like this, or if you can even begin to imagine a situation where everything that you thought was true, everything that you had grown to be, feel safe around, to trust in, to rely on, when that came crumbling down, it was a near-death experience. There was a part of me that died with the lies and illusions that I had built my life around. And in that death, I had an option. Do I stay dead or do I rebirth myself and rise again? Those are the options. And I still remember the exact the, the exact moment, like falling on the floor, like this is it. What am I going to do? And in that moment that I chose, I said, either I live my life going on and live from the pain and the trauma and the anger and the resentment and the hate and the blame and the guilt and the shame and all the things. Either I go ahead and live my life, I probably become an alcoholic. Or have all bunch of addictions. I'm sure everybody would accept me through them because everybody would say, "Oh, how sad! What happened to her?" Or I get up and I take responsibility for my role in this experience, and I take responsibility for the life that I'm about to create. Those are my options. And in that moment of choosing to take responsibility. That was the moment that changed my life. So it hasn't been that I have no fear. It's probably been more accurate to say that I've had all of them and still chose to take responsibility for my life. And for me, I don't think that, you know, this is a huge topic considering what our country and our, and our, our world is dealing with right now. But I think that the idea of taking complete responsibility for oneself is not only something that we are not taught how to do and we are not modeled by any by many on how to do but because we are all so unique and diverse our responsibilities and what it looks like to take complete responsibility is as unique and diverse. It truly is a spiritual journey to understand what personal responsibility and your accountability to the collective even looks like. Yeah. So, and those mini death yeah. processes are the wake up calls for the healers in whatever way they come. I mean, it definitely was mine. You know, my near-death experience was what activated me to remember and not be and not be sleepwalking. Yeah. And you're so right. I mean, that was, you know, what I call like the, it was the death process of me remembering 
my shamanic nature. And so I might, I might refer to myself as a shaman, but it's just a word. And you and I have had conversations about the words and the triggers, how a lot of people have triggers with my word, you know, of something that they have an association with that it means to be a shaman or even healer, you know, I mean, that one, that one has a lot of different associations with it for different people. But I remember one day we were talking and I was just like, why witch? Because it, it really, when you started to refer to yourself as that, it, it was great for me because it helped me access associations and deep, deep ancestral <laughs> opportunities to, mm-hmm. um, to dissipate, to diffuse the charge around that word. Mm-hmm. And it's another reason I really wanted to have this conversation and share it with people because if anyone feels your energy, like if they stop to feel the loving presence, the love that you hold and that you give, I don't see how, like you said, if somebody feels you instead mm-hmm. of thinks, thinks about the fact that you call yourself a witch and whatever conditioning they've got with that word. The conditioning that we've had and the negativity imposed upon that particular little set of letters put together (laughs) is very, very different than the energy that you are. And I would love for you to to share with us how did it come to be and what on earth made you want to (laughs) say that out in the world when we were killed for this for so long, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it's such an important conversation and such an important topic that needs to be discussed is what we project onto words, like the way that humans project their beliefs, understanding, limitations, restrictiveness onto words. And I think the reason that I'd like to differentiate, the reason I think we um, as a collective have a bigger problem with the word witch than we do shaman is because Shaman for a lot of people is an, is an old term that is only seen around tribal societies. Well, when was the last time that you were in touch with a tribal group? Like your ancestors. It sure wasn't in our lifetime. No. And it, and it wasn't in the last hundreds of years. Like, yes, there are tribes that live among us, but the majority of us are not connected to those tribes. And we're not connected to the tribal units whose blood has given us life. We're not connected to that tribal aspect of ourselves and where our tribe came from. And so shamanic feels very intangible to many people. But the second you say witch, I mean, we're not even looking at maybe a hundred years ago. Right. Versus thousands of years ago. So in my experience, a lot of people just don't have any context for shaman unless they have spent time in with cultures or in tribes where where shamanism is their form of 
embodiment, being, spirituality, connection to all that is. And so, although I think it's important to own that every culture had their own version of what a shaman is, it also is hard for people to go that far back unless they intentionally dig into their ancestry and do the work themselves. Whereas which people still use that word to this day to describe a female Satanist, to describe a B-I-T-C-H. Am I allowed to cuss on your podcast? I don't know what cursing <laughs> is considered. I think I already said damn, so oops. But, you know, there there's so many words. There's so many projections that people put on the word witch. Yeah. And yet nobody, I don't perceive very many people to actually, before they use the word, to actually think to themselves, well, what what is a witch? Like, what do I think a witch is? And where did that idea come from? I would encourage everyone listening to this to ask themselves that question, whether they have an issue with the word or not. Where was the first time you heard the word witch used? In what context was it used, overtly good or overtly bad? And where did that story come from? Oh, yeah. And I have, I have the direct ancestral <laughs> connection programmed fear of mm. that's your feminine power. You know, like you, mm-hmm. it comes down a long line of intuitive women in my family that that word immediately evokes fear. Mm-hmm. And what a good thing to uncover and work with and bring out into the light and not let anything have any kind of power like that over us. Yeah, it's a big topic. You know, a lot of the topics that are coming to the surface right now for us to heal so that we can move forward as a collective in the direction of humanity's highest good. A lot of the topics coming up right now, they're not easy to unpack. and. If I could have everyone take one thing home with them today, it would be to go slowly. Like there's no rush in unpacking your conditioning. There's no rush at all. In fact, the slower you do it, the more meticulously you do it, the more intentionally you do it so that your deconditioning integrates every aspect of your life, the more profound the end result, the more profound the outcome, the more of you and your truth that can shine through as you strip away the layers of conditioning. And so I know it's not easy, but it's important to to constantly ask yourself why. Why do I see this, it this way? Why do I think which is a bad thing? Or why do I think which is a good thing? And then it's important to remember that, you know, it's a lot easier to, to use inanimate objects whenever we talk about, whenever I talk about this, but a bat, you can use a bat to abuse someone or you can use a bat to play a game. One is for baseball or it could be used to harm someone. Whenever healers, on a, using that as a broad term, but whenever healers step into their role, their connection can be used for good and for bad. It can be used to heal or to harm. And I don't subscribe to the belief that 
good is right and bad is wrong. You know, it's really easy to get stuck in that linear way of thinking of, you know, you can only do good things. You can only heal in order to do good. But if you do anything that seems that's seen as harming, then it's bad. I think that it's a lot more gray than it is black and white. But the most important take home is, is that we can live our lives with the powers that we have. And we can either use them for as much healing as possible, or we can use them for as much harm as possible. And so whenever we get stuck in calling all which is bad or all anything one thing, we know that we're stuck in our own story and it's time to decondition that story. Absolutely right on. And I have quite a few more things I want to talk to you about. And I know, I know I'll <laughs> never get done talking to you about everything to be continued forever, but there, there are just some other very important things. But just to, just to wrap up a topic that, I mean, we could, we could go so deep into that for so long. And I think it's so good for people to hear. What does it mean to you to call yourself that? How did you come to identify with that? And what exactly does that mean to you? Okay. So to me, this is could lead to a whole bunch of other conversations. (laughs) Um, I, okay, let me see. How do I, because like I said before, the easiest way to help people meet you where you are is to help give them the stepping stones to get to where you are, to like be able to like make it make sense. So just as I would encourage massage therapists to educate their clients on how their bodies are not just physical, but it's all connected, I'm going to use the same approach to helping explain this in the the best way that I can. Humans are not the only being on this planet or in this solar system or in this galaxy or on and on and on and on. We're, We're not the only beings. Human beings are just one form of being. And before humans were on this planet, there were other beings that were not just human. They may have had aspects of human with them, but human beings are part of an evolutionary process. And you can apply that evolutionary process to spiritual beings as well. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around all of it, and you don't need to wrap your head around all of it. I don't think that any of us are meant to wrap our head around all of it. We're meant to have mystery and the unknown and the uncertain and the chaotic as part of the divine feminine is the mystery. But which is a word that is the only word that comes anywhere near close to describing my soul? So Stephanie is human, you know, Stephanie is having a human experience. My soul is not human. My soul comes from a place where everything, I don't want to say everything is one, but everything is very, was very nature, nature aware nature involved, nature related. So my soul grew and evolved alongside deep, innate 
womb knowing about the how the natural world relates to each other relates not only to humans but how the how the earth relates to itself and to the humans living on it and so for me I, I think if you ask anyone who calls themselves a witch, you'd probably come up with, the, with that many different explanations of what a witch is. But for me, what makes me a witch is the knowing and embodiment that my soul creates based on its experiences throughout time. Does oh, that make sense at all? <laughs> it does. And it totally, it totally reflects your your name, your business name, you know, your Instagram, a force of nature, which everything nature based. And that's what I have always appreciated and known is that connection to nature, that empowerment that was attempted to be squashed for so long because it's true power to be in harmony and right relationship with nature. And that brings me to your Instagram you share um, on a force of nature which, and you definitely are a force of nature. <laughs> that, that is such a powerful force. But you share a lot about the essences, the remedies. You're always, the, the pictures are just so beautiful of the way that you're working with the plants and the medicine of the plants. Tell us a little bit about that. So I think uh, for me, the, whenever I sit and I look at nature, Nothing is overtly good or bad. Nothing is overtly right or wrong. And that's where humans could stand to learn something from nature is that it's so much more complex than just behave this way and, you know, you'll be considered good or you'll be considered right. And so as I look to the natural world, as I look to the elements, as I look to the trees, I've always had a really strong connection with trees. I remember as a child, the magnolia trees and the oak trees and the weeping willows and the dogwood that surrounded my childhood and how much comfort they brought at the time. And I look, I look at them now and I talk to them now and I see what incredible space holders and energy conveyors they are my intention by creating different flower essences or herbal remedies is to support the people that want to cultivate a deeper relationship with the land that they live on if we took out the ground beneath our feet what would you be it wouldn't matter if you are a CEO of a company. It wouldn't matter how much money you have. It wouldn't, none of it would matter because the second you take out the ground underneath your feet, you have nothing to stand on. You cease to exist in human form because you just be a blob floating in the cosmic universe. <laughs> like there's not, there's nothing. So the ground that supports us, the ground that feeds us, the ground that nourishes us, in my opinion, should be our first and foremost devotion. And I know that, you know, I know that there may be some people um, with certain religious preferences that 
have a hard time grasping that. But I would encourage them that to look at, you know, why would God make such an incredible planet to support you and not want you or expect you to make that home first priority? You know, because without it, you have nothing. Yes. And how, you know, but we've built around a society we've, we've agreed to, and this is where we all need to take responsibility. We've agreed to allow government to form the way that it is for our society to form the way that it is for our culture to be what it is. We've agreed to that and we continue to contribute to that. And if you don't feel like what you're contributing to is in alignment with you anymore, it's your responsibility to make a change. When I see that you've shared an essence, um, a plant that you're working with, that you've bottled up this supportive remedy, and you share that, I envision you just in your passion and your purpose. It feels to me like, yeah, she's, she's really settled into, like, this is what I'm here to do. I can feel that. So when you share, is it just something you do intuitively like, Hey, I just made this batch of whatever plant essence. This is how it came together. If anybody feels drawn that they want to work with this, or if this would be supportive of you, reach out and I'll mail you one. Is that kind of how you yeah. operate <laughs> with that? Yes, totally. I don't have anything that I make that I can just continue mass producing. I won't. To me, there's something inherently precious about not only about our lives, but also about the medicines that we make and take. I don't think that any of us were designed to never change. I don't think that any of us were designed to always do the same thing, always eat the same thing, always take the same medicine, always. That would only be true if you're not, if you don't ever change. But you, you're changing every single day, even if it's on levels that you don't see or don't understand. And we also directly change based on the seasons. The world around us changes. We can't help but to change because the big ball that we're floating on changes. So just as our microbiomes change inside of us whenever we change what we're eating, Whenever the world, the earth that we're standing on changes based on her seasons, we too change. And so I don't have any products that I mass produce so that I can just continue shoving them out, shoving them out, shoving them out, like most of what we consume in a capitalistic society. They're consumer, the, the idea of consumerism. It was never my intention to just create something that would never end. I create remedies that are seasonal because I only take what I need. Whenever I go and harvest something, I don't harvest to account for 15 years down the road. How do I know what I need 15 years down the road? I only need to know what I need right now. So I go and I harvest for what I need right now and whatever I have extra, I, I offer for people to purchase. But yeah, that means that a lot of things sell out or they don't exist anymore. And so I, would love, I think any, this is going to be a strong statement. I don't try to, I don't make too many strong statements, I don't feel like, but 
I think any herbalist with their heart, like truly in the right place would ever not want you to learn how to make your own stuff. I don't, I think it goes against the mindset of the witch, the herbalist, the midwife, the caretaker to, I think it goes against those innate philosophies, internal philosophies to have somebody depend on you. Like where do you have a system like that? Where do you have a system where you depend on the people that are quote unquote, you know, above you politically. You already depend on the system. All of these systems that break away, specifically the ones that the word witch is, is rooted in, they break away from the current system because they don't believe that anyone should have power over somebody else. It's more about empowering, not taking power away. And so whenever I create, I have been empowered by others. I empower others. And I make medicines that are relevant for the time and I make them intuitively. I don't, I don't think it out or plan it out so much as I do listen to the plants and communicate with them. Oh, that's so sustainable and so abundant. I love that. And so if someone wanted to look at your work, I love how in the moment and free and real it is that there might be a particular kind of remedy and that might be just the right thing at the right time and not just that mass production like we talk about that's just not that's not the the healing way at all that's great yeah i love having conversations with this woman they inspire me and expand me and i always grow and learn and they are not done we have a lot more for you <laughs> but our conversation went so long that i took the last half hour segment and put it on my Patreon page absolutely free. So if you go to patreon.com, that's patreon.com slash Evangeline Hemrick, you can access at no charge the last 30 minutes of this conversation where we go into how her remote healing sessions are different than mine and how much I like them. And I think this is really good information for any holistic healers and practitioners out there because it's a great time to broaden your toolbox and resource yourself with different ways that you can help those that you serve and just to shape shift and adapt and modify with the times. Remote healing sessions have become the foundation of my work this year and I never thought that would happen. I thought all of my sessions would be in person for the most part, but I have adapted and I actually really like doing remote healings now. So you can check out more um, because I do another interview with Stephanie Athena Marie for my podcast supporters. And you can also find that on Patreon along with a discount for flower essences and a discount for her psychic distance healing sessions and you might really want to check that out they are amazing and thank you for those that do support the podcast so that i can continue to bring you enlightening inspiring healers that teach and encourage all of us to step into our power and help this world also 
You can check out my other podcast, which is Scared to Sacred. I'll be doing little mini courses each week leading up to my online course that starts August 17th. It's going to be all about shamanic empowerment, and we're going to take a different kingdom of nature each week. But you can get a little mini version of what the coaching program is going to be like on Scare to Sacred podcast. So check that out. Registration deadline for Expanding Sacred, my seven-week program, is going to be August 16th. So I hope that you come on over to Patreon and continue this very important conversation. Keep on healing. Keep on healing.